I'm Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you a conversation with Wayne Pierce. And if you're Australian and into rugby league, yes, that's the Wayne Pierce. Wayne shares with us his wisdom, perspective, and experience from being a high performance coach in both sport and business. And we explore the system he uses to help leaders and teams to gain a much deeper understanding of one another. Since interviewing Wayne, I took part in his three-day introduction to the process communication model, and I can say it was extremely insightful. From the field to the boardroom, enjoy the golden nuggets that Wayne has to share. I met Wayne recently when I was moderating a leadership event, and Wayne was on the panel. And his outlook, his perceptions and opinions on building high-performing teams really struck me. So to those who love rugby league and live in Australia, look, Wayne Junior Pierce needs absolutely no introduction. Fact is a living legend. To the rest of the world, let me share a little bit more. Wayne is a former and highly successful rugby league player and coach and was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia for service to rugby league. After he retired from sport, Wayne used his knowledge of building teams to perform at their highest level and in a short amount of time to apply to the world of business, where he consults with organisations on performance, leadership and high performance teamwork. I am so looking forward to unlocking Wayne's amazing brain and extracting the wisdom of years and the wisdom of teams. Wayne, welcome to Authentic Leadership. Yes, Claire, thanks for having me on board. I'm uh, very excited to be chatting to you. Uh, not half as excited as I am, I can tell you. <laughs> well, that's so, good to hear. Look, first question, Wayne. Just reading through the the, the work that you do, you, you focus really strongly on the essence of trust in both leadership and teams. So before we move on to the world of business, I'm really curious to find out more about how you experienced and then later on built trust in your sporting teams. As you know, from what I hear, there was often very little time to build up and perform at such a high level, yet still you succeeded. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept. When I, when I finished, in fact, when I was playing rugby league, um, back in the old era, back in the last millennium, um, we had to work jobs because there was the pay wasn't sufficient to sustain a full time career as a rugby league player. So we all worked other jobs. And what I what I came to appreciate was that that there were certain things that weren't happening in the business world that I was experiencing in, in my various jobs in the business world that that I was experiencing in the sporting world that really defined why there's a massive gap. Uh, in, in regards to team co- capabilities in business versus in sport. And one of the, uh, one of the big fundamentals that, that get missed often in business is the, the importance of creating a high trust culture. And that high trust culture is something that needs to sit at the epicentre of any uh, aspirational team culture because if you don't have the employees or team members who are really feeling as though they have got each other's backs and they will support each other and make sacrifices for each other, then it's almost impossible to create a high-performance team. And in sport, coaches 
the head coaches in particular will work overtime to create a high-performance culture anchored in this trust concept. And it's something that is absolutely front and centre of any coach at the start of each season is to really try and build that strong mm-hmm. trust base before you actually even worry about the, the technicalities of game plans and fitness regimes and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and there was a story that, that you shared that I'll, I'd love you to reshare if possible because, um, again, for those who are listening internationally, there's uh, a, competi- a competition between two states in Australia, between New South Wales and Queensland, and it's called the State of Origin, and it's the most passionate um, game in sport that I certainly have ever experienced. And I think what struck me about what you were saying is the the short amount of time that players have to come together because they're all from different clubs and now, you know, in different states. How how does that work in such a short time, Wayne? Yeah, well, I think what... What you're t- we're talking about here, the state of origin, is a, is a, is an excellent case study into um, how quickly you can build a team, but that it's absolutely based and anchored at, on a fundamental premise of, of of the team members trusting each other. So, so, so the state of origin, for those people who aren't aware of it, is uh, uh, it's a representative team of two different states in Australia playing against each other. It's a team. It's a team selected if, from where you were born. So if, if you were born in Queensland, you play for Queensland. If you're born in New South Wales, you play for New South Wales. But the players that are selected are playing in a whole lot of different clubs spread right around the country. And prior to State of Origin, to the State of Origin match, which is not played until mid-season, the players have been training with their clubs, playing with their clubs for up to seven months prior to the team being selected. And then all of a sudden, all these players are stuck from all different clubs, stuck in this representative team that represents either Queensland or New South Wales, and the coach has only got them for eight days before the first game to create uh, a winning team that's based around a high-performance teamwork. And that is really, really interesting in itself to take that the coach has only eight days to build a high-performance team because when you talk about business, you talk about, well, how long does it take to to build a high-performing team in business? And most business leaders will sort of say it takes a lot longer. But the interesting thing is that to fast-track the process of uh, developing this high-performance team. The first two days, uh, approximately two days of the camp, there's absolutely none, no, no focus really on the football side of the, of the technical side, the fitness side, the tactic side. First two days, the first half days, you've got to get the PR out of the way and make sure the players are fit, fitness tests and stuff like that. But the next day and a half is really all about bonding. It's all about building connections between players um, and it's really about them getting, and the basis to that is really getting them getting to understand each other and emotionally connecting. Um, and that's a really critical aspect of what this, this high-performance team, this trust is. And it's really to do with the connectivity and that connectivity is the emotional connection that, that players or in a business landscape employees have. Well, in effect, you're creating a new tribe, aren't you? You know, we're tribal in nature. Our our brains are social organs, and then, and I think, you know, what's the saying? Is it mate against mate, state against state, or something? That you're now changing allegiances. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, and what you're actually doing in 
Well, at a neuroscience level, what, what we're doing is we're um, stimulating the release of oxytocin. So uh, when you stimulate the release of oxytocin, what you're actually doing is creating uh, opportunities for people to really connect. That's why uh, on the illicit drug market, MDMA is such a strong uh, a, a strong drug that, that people can become addicted to because people feel this connection with each other when, when they're actually uh, consuming yeah. that, that drug. So naturally in the workplace or in a sporting environment as in a, as in a uh, sports team, if you can create that that feeling and and the players are listening this oxytocin and what happens is there's going to be lots of connections between people that previously may have viewed each other differently yeah that's a really really important point and so you know transferring this back to the business world and so we have the evidence we have the evidence of high performing teams in sport we have the evidence that we can build a team quickly when we focus on connection, we have the evidence of, of oxytocin being being a trust molecule. What, in your opinion, Wayne, is is stopping leaders from embracing this? Uh, it's purely and simply, I think, a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge of, of what constitutes the foundations of a high-performance team. So over the years, over the decades, I should say, not the years, the decades that, that I... Uh, I've worked and been involved with with sport and business. What I've come to appreciate is that most uh, of the, the the leaders in business don't understand what constitutes the fundamentals of, of teamwork. In fact, a, a study done by Corn Ferry a, a, a few years ago, back in I think 2014, they looked at leadership competency gaps in Australia, and, and the biggest, the number one glaring leadership competency gap that was hardest to recruit and hardest to train was building effective teams. So there's where do people go and learn that? I, my my uh, university for uh, for learning all this sort of stuff was the, was the sporting field. But getting back to what you're talking about is, is in a business sense, um, a lot of bo- bosses focus on the technical side of teamwork and they, and they look at, at where we, we need this particular type of competencies in the team, we need this particular type of competencies in the team, uh, and they, they, get all, they get all that balanced up reasonably well. What they don't get is the fact that that's, that's fine, but if you don't uh, understand how to, to build a trust and get people to feel the connections, then you're not going to have an outcome. In fact, most of the team-building activities that I went to when I was working in, in the business sector um, was was anchored around going going and building a raft together. We're doing some high ropes where you're supporting each other on high ropes and and this sort of stuff. It's that's not where that's not where the value lies. The the the, be, the, mo- the best return on your investment of time is to put some time into having conversations between individuals uh, that allows them to understand each other yeah. better. Which means yeah. which means not just talking work stuff, talking what makes each other tick. So it's it's. A space that a lot of leaders feel they they shouldn't go to or they can't go to. Well, I can I can tell you now. I've been running workshops for twenty years. And I've never had anybody push back on it because what happens is, provided you allow people to share what they want to share within the topic you designate, they are empowered to hold back stuff that they want. But most people will share more stuff than they thought they'd share because what happens is when you are sharing some personal stuff to somebody and you feel that person's really engaged and listening. You get this little squirt of oxytocin, so you actually release 
that you become a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more out. And at the end, this sense of uh, allowing yourself to be understood is quite powerful and 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 quite connective. You know, just just listening to you there, and obviously we can maybe only speak for Australia, and maybe you do work internationally as well. But I'm just I'm just wondering, is there still a perception? I mean, you know, we're entering 2020, a new decade, but is there still a perception of of you know building the tribe, building connection, building trust, showing empathy, showing that you care? Is is there still a, a perception that it's a bit soft and fluffy in your experience? Oh, there's no doubt that there's there's still a, there's lots of old school bosses around, and, and those old school bosses have have uh, given the wrong impression to uh, some of the up and coming emerging bosses. But there's definitely a change at changing of the guard, and I feel mm-hmm. that there's um, there's a lot of people out there that, that are prepared to experiment more. The, the, the biggest challenge is that. People uh, by nature, human beings by nature, don't want to take risks, particularly in a, in a business that's, that's driven by timelines, driven by perceptions that if we keep doing what we've done, then we'll, 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 we're going we'll, to get some great results. But it uh, requires you to take a risk and it requires a step out of your comfort zone to uh, facilitate discussions along the lines of what we're talking about. Um, and that's why I, I find myself reasonably busy working with companies because they they themselves yeah. are, aren't able to start those conversations because they've never had them. So, But once they've had the conversations, it's easy for the, the companies then and the leaders then to continue to nurture those conversations because the, the, the employees, the team members, feel so good once they've actually gone into that space. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's strange that, you know, it's always been there in the sporting field, yet you look at these sporting types and they're very, they're very, you know, masculine and um, it just seems a bit of a juxtaposition really, doesn't it? Well, it does, but, but it, and it's not spoken about outside the confines of the, the, the sporting teams, but when, when these conversations occur and every single sports team that's, uh, that's, that's worth it's that's worth their, their mustard and actually are actually uh, coached well. They will the coaches will facilitate in their off season before this competition starts some sort of training camp where they'll go away and they'll do elements of this. So it but, but and what happens is a lot of those players will share some emotion. So what happens if I share some emotion with you and we're talking about a, a conversation that really struck a nerve with me and I just share a little bit of a quiver in my voice, a little bit of grief, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond, if you're a decent person, you're going to respond with some compassion and empathy. And that's the complementary emotional connection that constitutes a bond. So I share some emotion, you share some complementary uh, complementary emotion with me, and that's where the connection starts. And it doesn't just finish there, but that's where the connection starts. And I have to be aware and present to hearing that in your voice, to seeing that in your face. And I'm wondering if this is um, a lead into, I'm, I'm really curious about the, the model that you've, that you've trained up in the process communication model. Is there a correlation between what you've just said and this model that you are accredited in and, and, and use? 
Yeah, no, there, there is. The, the, the model we're talking about is the process communication model. There's absolutely a correlation there. But what happens in that moment when when I'm sharing something to you and you're engaged and you're listening and you're feeling this sense of connection back, we're actually entering the flow state. And uh, when we're in flow, as, as the research uh, shows, you know, we're, we've, we're feeling this amazing experience where, we're, where nothing else matters outside of that, that moment and that further exacerbates the, the connection and it also uh, leads to uh, an incredible opportunity to move forward, not just in, in that one-on-one relationship, but collectively across the business doing this sort of stuff allows the team to move forward very quickly. And actually, I might park the process communication model for a second. I'm just thinking in your experience and, and companies that you've worked with, where do you see that they're getting it right, Wayne? In, in terms of teamwork? In terms of that, that emotional connection that you see that that's there, that, that leaders are aware of it and facilitating it? Um, most businesses, when they understand the science of it and they've experienced it, most businesses absolutely will go there and um, they'll continue to nurture that. The, the, the biggest challenge for most organisations, small businesses, big businesses, multinationals, whatever, the biggest challenge is, is the, the frontline leaders understanding the concepts and having some tools to apply those concepts. That's the biggest challenge, absolutely, without a doubt. And, and I mean, teamwork's there's a, a number of layers that are that are really fundamental. What what, what we're talking about here is so far is trust. But it, once the trust box is is ticked, or in in parallel with that, you've got to also have clear expectations and clear beha- behavioural expectations is yeah. is a gap. Most businesses are pretty good around setting goals, but for in terms of targets, but the behavioural piece is often a gap and, and therefore that creates frustrations because people then aren't able to tick the, the next box again, which is the accountability box. People really struggle in having the conversations with each other to keep each other accountable. Well, first of all, they should be keeping themselves accountable, but even if they, even if they do that, they'll struggle with uh, the accountability in keeping themselves, uh, keeping each other accountable because they don't they don't actually know how to have those conversations. It's not taught anywhere in our school system. It's not taught. It's not taught um, at university. It's 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 so it's understandable that that's a significant gap in our in our business world as well. Absolutely, and you just I'm just thinking about because I worked for many years in IT, and where those behavioural expectations weren't laid out you know we would tolerate brilliant jerks they were people who were so innovative and creative in the company but treated their their peers like crap and and the, and it wasn't addressed and and I think I was quite lucky that uh, you know for many years I worked for an American organization and in in the performance management system were always behavioral and attitudinal traits and I just assumed that this would be the norm everywhere else and was quite taken aback when I started working in IT and thought, you know, how, wh- why are these people being tolerated? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Yeah, uh, the one of the, the real energy vampires in any organisation or any team is lack of alignment around what expectations are because if, if my expectation is that we do this because no one's really clarified anything else and your expectation is slightly different, that 
uh, gap between what you're doing and what I'm doing creates a bit, bit of an irritation, mm-hmm. maybe an annoyance. At, 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 a, at a deeper level, it creates frustrations. But all these sorts of things, frustrations, annoyances, irritations, are, are little uh, little chips away into the wall that are creating um, lack of alignment and also they're, they're sucking the energy out of, of, of the team. So um, one of the things I'm pretty firm on is, is identifying a set of, of gap behaviours. So in other words, identifying where are the gaps, what's causing the frustrations and articulating a set of rules that if we had those rules in place, they would eliminate the, the, the yeah. frustrations. And so they're, they're in, they're in lot, you can come up with a finite set of team rules on that basis. You don't have to worry about all the stuff we're doing well. What are the things we're not doing so well? Let's, some team, let's place some, some behavioural uh, rules around those and then, then we can actually police each other um, and keep each other accountable. First, to keep ourselves accountable, yeah. keep others accountable around those as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so you talked about trust. You've talked about accountability. I think one of the other, I don't know if it's a three-legged stool for you, but one of the other things that um, in in researching the work that you do is around motivation. Can you share a little bit about that, Wayne? Yeah, motivation is... Um... Is a, is a concept, a word that's thrown around a lot. Um, and at the end of the day, all I can do as a team leader for you is I can inspire you by fertilising your mind based on what it is that motivates you. Uh, there are some generic motivators. Um, people like a sense of growth. People people at a non-conscious level want, want desire and crave a sense of, of um, connection. There's a number of different... You, uh, uh, generic motivators, but, but where where the rubber hits the road for most people, and what causes distress for most people, um, is when their their psychological needs are not being fed. And the primary psychological need for each every human being is anchored in the type of person that they are. So if you're uh, the type of person that's 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 quite you talked about IT quite logical, rational, organised, can be a bit anal at times. Um, the primary psychological need for that type of person is a sense of achievement. Yeah. Because there's an existential question hovering over that over that type of person. That is, am I competent? So they're constantly trying to show that they are competent. And, and if they don't feel as though you're acknowledging their competency, they'll slip into a pattern of distress that is a negative way getting that question answered. So that type of person... In distress, will start to overthink, overcomplicate. They'll start to micromanage. If they go further and deeper into distress, they'll start to get frustratedly angry and think everybody's stupid around them. That type of stuff. Now, that if I'm a leader, team leader, and I see that particular sort of behaviours in my in, in a behaviour in one of my team members, then I need to uh, support that person by feeding their need. Uh, in, 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 in a healthy way, as opposed to another, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, we've got those type of people who have a completely different type of uh, personality. They're the, they're the people that are very compassionate, they're warm, they're sensitive. Um, they are driven by an existential question that's quite different. It, for them, it's, am I lovable? So they're the type of person yeah. that wants to be liked. And that type of person, if they don't feel that they are liked, they'll slip into a space where they will will lose assertiveness and they'll try and be super nice and be overcompensating to be nice. And uh, they don't want to say that they, they, it's impossible for them to say no. They'll sacrifice their own pleasure just to try and please other people. Uh, but, if they, but if they sit further down into distress, 
they'll slip into a space where they will invite self-criticism and blame themselves and put the victim's hat on. So, you know, either way, there's two quite different sets of distress behaviours, but but if I'm a, a team leader or I'm a peer of somebody that's in that space or I'm a parent or I'm a counsellor or whoever, I'm a coach, then I can actually help that person uh, exit the, the distress space by feeding their needs in a healthy way. And when you're working with and facilitating the conversation and, and sharing of these existential needs, what are some of the sort of the reactions, the, the light bulbs of understanding that you get when you share this? So, so yeah, when, you're, when you're working with teams and you're sharing with them and, and helping them see what their own individual needs are, what their, their personality preferences are, what these existential needs are, what sort of reactions do you get? Uh, universally, people go, "Wow, that's so accurate! I know what I know exactly. This fits me." And and when they understand that, then what they for the first, a lot of them for the first time in their life, they've got a a framework that they can look at and uh, help them best operate and function when they're under pressure. Because when generally when the psychological needs are not being fed is when we're under pressure, when we're under the pump, and when we're under the pump, that's when we need to, to actually be at our best and not at our worst. So yeah. um, most people will I will will really embrace the tools and look to um, look to basically sort of how can they how can they adopt this on a on a bigger scale across their life. A lot of people also say, well, wow, you know, I've come here today uh, for this work seminar and. I can see this is going to benefit my family because my kids are in this yeah. space or my partner yeah. in this space. So it's it's quite interesting. It's it's the, the ripple effect is fantastic, isn't it? Now, what about you? What's um what's Wayne's core psychological need, and how does Wayne behave when that's not being met? Yeah. So um, the model, the process communication model, I came across it nine years ago, and because I upskill, I do courses every year as a facilitator to try and stay contemporary and on top of what what I need to uh, to be on top of. And anyhow, to cut a long story short, I came, I stumbled across this particular skill set because I was researching an article for one of my clients on uh, on teamwork and I was citing the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. And oh, I wanted yeah. to check the data. I just wanted to check the date of the accident. So I went onto the website of NASA and they made reference to process communication model and how how it is assisted in in um, NASA's training of astronauts, recruitment of astronauts, et cetera, et cetera. So anyhow, I thought, and I hadn't heard of it, so I ended up booking into a course, and at that particular point, there was no one running programs in Australia this, uh, other than a person that came up from New Zealand. So, but at the end of the course, I thought, wow, this is, um, this is amazing. And anyhow, to cut to, to, cut to the chase, when I, when I understood what made me tick, uh, and I'm not everybody's simple and can be defined by uh, one existential question. For some people, they're, uh, depending on how their, their lives have evolved and their, their personalities have evolved, there's six different dimensions to all of us mm-hmm. human beings. There's six different, if you like, inks that go into making us who we are. Some are highly concentrated, some are not so highly concentrated. The highly concentrated ones are the ones that have the biggest impact on us. Um, but 
to answer your question of what drives me, I'm driven by a sense of wanting to leave a legacy. That's that's and the existential question for me is am I trustworthy? So that's why for me this trust piece is really resonates because at my core, that's that's the existential question. So if under pressure um, I don't manage my distress, but I actually have learned to manage my distress because I've understood this process communication model concept. Um, but the, the, the type of person like me under pressure, um, they'll slip into a first degree of distress space where they'll focus on what's wrong rather than what's right. They'll get nitpicky around what's wrong rather than what's right. And, and the reason that relates back to <coughs> trustworthy is because at a non-conscious level, if I'm helping you by focusing on what's wrong uh, and telling you, then you should trust me. But but that type of person doesn't work that way in reality. These people get, get seen as, as being nitpicky. Uh, they, they're seen as being narcs and there's not much uh, appreciation for the existential question. In, in second degree, in even distress, I tend to, to, I can tend to push my beliefs when I'm in distress, but hopefully that doesn't happen anymore. Um, but, and, and at the end of the day, the, that type of person uh, who's driven by that that question, existential question, really wants to um, wants to make a difference. They want to leave a legacy. That's that's really where I'm at. I'm just, just disclosing my inner workings. Thank you. Well, it is the Authentic Leadership Podcast, so you knew there might be a curveball exactly. coming in at some stage. And uh, I'm just curious, going back to the to the NASA thing, uh, thinking, gosh, you know, these people are stuck in this tiny capsule for a long time together so uh, you may or may not have insight as to how nasa might have worked with the model with uh, with astronauts yeah yeah so um when when the missions were short uh much shorter when they'd go up there for a few days then they recruited a lot of people that were very cognitive and that was a primary aspect of of their, their personality and, and in fact it's really, really fascinating because the guy who developed this particular skill set, he NASA heard about what he developed, and they got him in to observe their selection rational selection process. And because he was so if, uh, accurate in terms of providing feedback on which which astronauts went on would be on, would go on to be good astronauts and which weren't, and they, and they they correlated his input with the output of the astronauts over a period of time. Um, they became fascinated by the skills that he had, but because he was getting so busy, he couldn't go and and, uh, and and go and sit in all the recruitment interviews and observe. So what they did was they funded a, um, uh, a him to develop a profiling tool for the astronauts, which is nowadays used as a, uh, a profiling tool for the course that you do. So it's there's a long history of association. <laughs> With NASA, who then also um, basically validated the the profile. Oh wow, that's fascinating! And I'm thinking, you know, linking this to diversity in in business. You know, we look at ethnic diversity and gender diversity, and we look at diversity of thought. But now you're bringing in diversity of of psychological need of those existential needs, and how might that diversity then contribute to a higher performing team rather than people who are, you know, the same needs, same thoughts, groupthink, end up all being the same and not creative. 
No, that's true. Absolutely true. In fact, getting back to the NASA thing, so in the early days, that they, they wanted a lot more of the cognitive type personality, or personalities, I should say. Um, then when the missions sort of evolved into space stations where people up there for months, they needed people that had a much, much stronger component in the compassion uh, dimension. Uh-huh. And that because that was where because the the people that are compassionate sensitive warm type person really strong in that they're the people that are able to resolve conflicts a lot more uh, sensitively um and certainly look to to create a more harmonious environment yeah because you can hardly go out and get yourself of some space that's right you can't go it's, it's a bit hard to go for it's a bit hard to go for, for a walk out sit down the park and space walks are, are, are limited by <laughs> um by a little length of cable. Oh wow! And um, again, this isn't you know we haven't we haven't prepared these questions and, and forgive me if I'm putting you on the spot, but just thinking about you know some of the teams that you've that you've worked with over the years, and without naming names, can you think of an example where you've you know you've managed to help turn somebody around who was this very traditional, rational, logical, analytical? Um, you know, emotions are kept at the door to someone who is understands trust and is connected and empathic. You know, have you have you got a success story, Wayne? <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably more because I finished coaching uh, sort of twenty years ago, but but I've certainly had examples where I've coached um, senior business leaders over over the past um, you know ten years. Um, and quite a few situations where 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 the in, individuals have not necessarily changed, but because you can't change um, the base dimension of a person, but what you can do is you can get them to energize the other dimensions. Um, so if someone's yeah. that logical, yeah. rational, organized type person, not really connected to emotions at all, you can actually when they if, if they are aware of the need to engage their e- emotions and, and open up and share some stuff with with individuals because that's how other individuals are, are engaged. Then yeah, you know, there's there's plenty of examples of of um, people I've worked with that have, have been very successful in that space. In fact, that's the aim of the course, the um, the three day process communication course that we run, the public courses. That that's the objective. Each each of us human beings has a preferred channel, or in some people it's channels of communication. There's four channels of communication. Uh, this is the evidence supports this. And most people in business and most people in um, in the school environment are anchored in two of those uh, channels. And pretty, in a summary version of them, it's basically one of them is the information sharing channel and the other one is the the, the, the compassion sharing channel so most people can blend those one of those or both of those together and communicate with with probably 65 to 70 percent of the population that's what the research shows but the other the other 30 percent the the ones that often that those type of people who need that need the other two channels are the ones that often often get missed in school and business they, they struggle as well and and that's because one of the channels is the is the, the humor channel, the, the playful contact channel. It's it's the it's it's those type of people who need 
and they're constantly throwing humour into the conversation. If you're if you're a straighty 180 and you're trying to have a conversation with them, they'll just switch off straight away. And in school, if teachers don't if teachers don't know how to connect with them and don't identify what those students are like, then they're, they're going to miss the boat. Uh, and the other one is the, the direct and to the point channel, the succinct and direct and to the point. And for for a lot of people, that's rude, a rude way to communicate. But there's around about 15% of the population that that absolutely needs that type of engagement. And if you don't give them the type of engagement, that will force them to go into distress as well. Real irony is that the, in our education system, the cha- these channels of communication are not taught. Uh, it's not taught in our um, tertiary system yeah. as well. Yeah. The teachers are not taught these this fundamentals. So now the process communication model is actually it's actually been added to the um, professional learning uh, the skills for teachers so they can go and do the course and upskill. But it's, um, it's, it should be something that's available to all our students in all our schools. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Wayne. You know, um, just thinking back to to my hubby who was, you know, has this uh, physical intelligence, absolutely brilliant at sport and used humour as well and then was just told, well, you're going to amount to nothing, you know, and it's like, gosh, it's can we not appreciate the different intelligences here? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and once again, it's the, the, the different communication channels, preferred communication channels is a reflection of the different personalities. So... Um, if you're going to be effective as, as a team, as an organisation, you really need to have the diversity of uh, personalities. Which and what comes with that is the di- is the different types of communication channels that are required. But in most businesses, that's not understood. So therefore, we're not getting the most of out of our people because a, a lot of communication uh, is actually miscommunication. People are not actually hearing what is being said or the intent of what's being said because it's being said in a different language to what they prefer. Yeah. We need to become multilingual. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, gosh. I, well, what, was a, what, what was the question I was going to ask? Yeah, I just I just realised, actually, that I missed – I wish you told me I missed part one of your, of your course. And so when are you running the next process communication model course and do you run them in other places in Australia or tell us a little bit more about your, your programme? Yeah, so um, the process communication model course that I run, the, there's, there's uh, the, the introductory course, which is the fundamental course, is the main course that, that I run. I run a lot of those in-house with companies and organisations. It's the one that's accredited now with the Education Department for Teachers, something that I run regularly in Sydney. I have run them in other states, but it depends on where there's a, there's a demand. But, um, yeah, it's a three-day program and... The reason it takes three days is because there's a lot of role playing. There's a lot of um, identifying behaviours because with with process communication, it's actually a skill set that you learn to observe and respond. Observe and respond. So it's it takes um, a bit of time to do that. Some people think, oh well, that's a lot of time to invest, and it is a lot of time to invest in this busy world that we're in. But skills that you'll take away. Are profound and and um, it just amazes me how with the feedback that keeps it doesn't amaze me but it, but it's it's great to hear the feedback coming back from almost everybody that does the courses. Wow, 
know, I was, I was re reluctant to put the three days in, but it's it's so so good. I've got another course coming up, and the, the thing is, because it's such an interactive course, I only put there's only sixteen people on a course. Uh, that's the maximum number I can take, and I've got one coming up in in mid February, eighteenth to the twentieth of February, and um, then I'll, I'll I usually schedule them about every eight weeks the public courses, and then in between I'm running other programs for in-house for companies and stuff like that. If people want to go to my website and uh, waynepierce.com.au, it's got the, um, the dates on there for the courses anyway. Brilliant. Fantastic. So I have so enjoyed this conversation and just, yeah, you know, picking your brain, listening, listening to your insights. And I don't know if it's possible to have one key message. There might be, there might be a couple, but, you know, for the people who are, who are listening to this podcast, who have a genuine desire to build a high-performing team, what what can we leave them with as a golden nugget of advice as if there was one place to start, this is where you'd start? The first thing is, is um, just nurture, and you use the, the word curiosity uh, a number of times during this podcast. You said, I'm very curious. And... Curiosity, for me, is really the core attribute of anyone that's going to be successful in this rapidly changing world because, you know, there's so much knowledge that's being unraveled after, day after day. And for me, if you can nurture and demonstrate uh, a curious mindset, then not only are you going to master the teamwork concept quicker than you think, you're going to master any aspect. But as far as the team uh, work is concerned it's it, it really it just does come back to you've just prepared to have a crack and, and have a try at getting your people understand each other better and open up to each other and share share a bit of themselves in an authentic space and that starts with you as a leader demonstrating what that what that looks like and and, and you you've got a bit of offer a bit of yourself and if you're not an open uh, leader, then you're not authentic as a leader, and um, that the, there's a lot of people like that. A lot of people in leadership roles that, that are really struggle with that. They don't think that's that's necessary. Well, I can tell you from my experience, and it's over 40 years now. I've been working with teams at the, at the, at the professional sports and business levels. Uh, it absolutely is necessary, and and as a leader, you know, you got you got to set the example, set set the bar, and and lead the way. Oh, so so true, and and just gosh, something something came to me when you were wrapping that up around when you were saying about not necessarily changing um, the the base, the essence of someone, but expanding on the 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 skill set and the ability to observe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I remember once uh, being in conversation with someone, and totally non consciously. I turned the topic of conversation back to myself and I wish I could find this person to thank them because right at the end of the conversation, he said, that that was really interesting, Claire. He said, but I thought you asked me about that experience and I heard your version of events and it was like this, it was like this big medicine ball that just hit me in the stomach and I thought, oh, shit, yeah. You know, I'm, I was trying to be interested yeah, one of those aha moments. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, and, and ever since then, it's like, Claire, be interested. 
stop trying to be interesting. You'll get your turn. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, we've all got those little little gems that come up from time to time that allow us. We don't we don't learn in in a linear fashion. It's uh, like big growth at, at certain times, isn't it? Yeah, in plateaus. Wayne, it's been an absolute privilege. Um, I've loved our conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, are you happy for people to connect with you on LinkedIn? Is it okay if I put your LinkedIn link on the show notes? Or yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, no, no, that's fine, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Great. Well, well, and good interview too, Claire. Well done. Well done. Pleasure. Thank you. I think we were in flow. <laughs> yeah, we were in flow. Absolutely. We'll speak soon. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Wayne. Bye, bye for now. Thanks a lot, Claire. Bye. Bye. Bye.